station, but we're here for a real education. Welcome to Real Education. I am your host, Tim Wake, joined as always by my co-host and movie expert, Melissa Kersher. Hello. And my co-host and movie... Dummy. Dummy. Yes. <laughs> Jenna Young. Hi, that's me. And I have to, before we start, I had a bit of an insight as, as we've been doing this, I, that we're kind of the three fates of movie viewing. <laughs> In, in that in the Jenna knows nothing about movies, uh, Melissa knows everything about movies, and I'm somewhere in between. <laughs> uh, and uh, see, I didn't want to use the virgin mother crone thing because I don't want to call Melissa a crone. Because also, that's... nobody's going to believe. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I'm the oldest. <laughs> well, yeah. it, so anyway, the point is, uh, I'm not going to use. The, I'm just saying we're the three fates of movie <laughs> fandom. Do I, do I need to pick up knitting now? <laughs> yes. is that... What this means? All I have to do is measure <gasps> the flowers thread. flowers for my hair? <laughs> um, you actually, all you have to do uh, as, the, as the crone figure, you just have to be able to cut the thread. I could do so that. So all you need to do is know how to use a scissors. Okay. I'm spin. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> so anyway, well. that is completely beside the point because we are here tonight. We are at the beautiful Pepitos Theater in Minneapolis, joined by a small but loud crowd. Who are here to watch Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. Yes. Yay. Is there anybody here besides Jenna who has not seen this oh. film? Wow. Oh, oh good. We, oh, we do my have, people. I need to point <laughs> out, I need to, I need to point out there, there are actually several people, but I did stack the deck because I brought my son, Alex, who has not <laughs> seen the film. Uh, this is actually his first Hitchcock film, so <gasps> congratulations. I've seen Alex. one more Hitchcock film than somebody else on the face of the planet. <laughs> I'm very excited. <laughs> So this is Jenna's second Hitchcock film. Mm -hmm. Tell yep. us what you know about Vertigo. It is a Hitchcock film. Well, that's just a cop-out. <laughs> that's, that's seriously what I know, other than bits and pieces of things that I've picked up from people. There was a re-release, apparently. <laughs> yes. uh, that was talked about right beforehand. Yes. Um, and it is very odd. It's very odd. It even very for odd. a Hitchcock film. So, yeah, I mean, I think the thing that you need to understand, the, la the first Hitchcock film you saw was Rear Window. Yes. Made by Alfred Hitchcock, starring Jimmy Stewart. Now, this film, also made by Alfred Hitchcock and starring Jimmy Stewart. And that is where the similarity ends. <laughs> oh, God. Yes. The, it's in the, color. It is in oh, color. It is in color. It is, oh, that, I didn't know there that. You yep, yep. There you go. Uh, uh, interesting factoid, uh, the Sight and Sound magazine in England does a poll every 10 years, and they do a poll of major film critics to determine the best film I ever made. Ever. Ever made. And for many, many years for the, when they did the poll, the top film was uh, Citizen Kane. Sure. Which is an excellent, excellent film. But the last poll that they did, which is about three or four years ago, the film that was in first place was actually Vertigo. Ooh. So <gasps> currently, a large number of critics and film fans who were polled by Sight and Sound view this as the best film ever made. Now, I don't want to say that so that when we get done, everybody's like, that was not the best film ever made. But the point <laughs> is that uh, this movie has a really big following, especially among film fans, and it's considered to be maybe Alfred Hitchcock's masterpiece. Okay. Yeah. So, Even though he you know, had a lot of masterpieces. My, my expectations are way up here yeah. now, Tim. What I just I, did is ensured that you, when yeah. we get done with this movie, you're like, what? what? That was not... Yeah. It's like when, <laughs> when Citizen Kane was the, was the top of that list. People would watch Citizen Kane. They're like, well, I liked it, but I don't think it's the best movie ever made. Um, and so that's what is going to happen to everybody here tonight. I probably shouldn't have mentioned that until after. Look, Shame I'm, on you, Tim. I'm going to tell you, I saw 
Wreck-It Ralph finally for the first time last night, and I think that's the best movie ever made. So... <laughs> Vertigo is uh, nothing like that. Vertigo has nothing to do. Nothing to do with Wreck It Ralph. I think in. I'm I'm gonna be disappointed. No, I can't. No. Uh, There might be a spiral in Wreck It Ralph somewhere. Yes, there there are lollipops, so therefore there are spirals. And I think uh, think that may be where the similarity. When we get done with the movie, we'll talk about a lot of things. We'll definitely be talking about a very famous camera shot that Hitchcock invents for this movie that you have seen many times since. Yes. Uh, okay. I'm sure you have seen this camera shot in other movies, even if you aren't aware of it. And uh, I think that's probably enough of an intro, unless you have anything to add, Melissa. No, I got a lot of stuff to say afterward, though. Yeah, I'll bet you do. Oh, oh yo. <laughs> so please sit back, relax, and enjoy Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. And welcome back. We've just finished watching uh, Vertigo. <laughs> and uh, I just got to say, I was looking over at Jenna just as the movie ended, that final shot, and I sensed some frustration. What the she was oh very God. animated when I it. <laughs> what? What? And then, okay, this guy's really bad at relationships. Um, like a lot. Uh, it's very, very dysfunctional. Are you talking about Jimmy Stewart or Alfred Hitchcock? <laughs> well, okay. And I believe the answer um, is yes. The, the character is what I meant. but <laughs> the, the, Okay, so number one, he's got this chick that's like absolutely 100% like gung-ho about him, like, you know, supportive and all the rest of this, but he falls for this other chick. And then, and then the, but, but then he runs into her and then, and then, what? <laughs> I don't even. It's a pretty fair description of the film. Yeah. To sum up, what? <laughs> the, I, this film is all kinds of messed up. Well, and I... And it is... Uh, well, it's, it's a very... It's a great movie about a really messed up relationship. Really messed up guy. Really, oh, so much really messed up guy. The thing, the thing is that... Um, How creepy a, is Jimmy Stewart? Oh <laughs> He's just God. a casting of Jimmy Stewart. I never that thought role. that, like, okay, because what I've seen of roll, Jimmy Stewart I've got to last all the moon for you. A yeah. lot, but <laughs> everything were, that I've seen with Jimmy Stewart, I'm like, oh, you're kind of sweet. Kinda yeah. nice. And then I saw this, and I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, Hitchcock kind of played off of that too. Wow, yeah. He wanted you to be like uh, oh, thinking yeah. of that about that that oh. Jimmy Stewart that you're used to mm-hmm. when you're watching this film and kind of just yeah. twisting that oh, as the, as the film goes on. They talk about this film as being one of Hitchcock's most personal films because um, <laughs> Hitchcock, <laughs> Hitch, no, Hitchcock was he was a little obsessive, kind of obsessive well. and messed up when it comes to his <laughs> his love life and his obsession with women, mm-hmm. and the yeah. way he. Uh, if you go back and watch other Hitchcock films, you'll see how just about every one of the women in his films are blondes, and okay. how he just punishes the crap <laughs> out of every one yeah. of the. I mean, think about what he does to Grace Kelly in Rear Window. Sure. And then you look at what he's doing to Kim Novak in this film. And to it the gets point weirder. That, that you oh even see him turn Kim Novak into a bl- into a blonde. Yeah. So he can punish her. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this is this is like Hitchcock making a film about Hitchcock, well, and it is so messed up. And it gets weirder after this movie because once you get into the Tippy Hedren years, oh, Tippy Hedren just gets hammered. Yeah. 
the yeah. poor woman. You know, you know, at some point we're gonna watch the birds and, and and then you get to Marnie where she gets raped by James Bond. Yeah. for her own good. <laughs> um. And yeah, the yeah, famous shot. Alex is asking about the famous shot. We'll get to that in a minute. I'm just going to warn you, Alex, you don't know this, but the, the recorder won't pick up if you're talking to us. So I have to hold the microphone in your face. But uh, anyway. Which we can do later. We will do later. Yeah, but yes. uh, yeah, let's get back to the famous shot. The the, the zoom and pull. The push-pull yeah. shot. Which, so, is, which is also called a trombone shot, but it's... It's, uh, it's the vertigo yeah. shot. Whenever Jimmy Stewart is like looking yeah. down something totally. tall and, and, and there's this weird thing that happens with the camera... And that's all done in camera. Yeah, and basically, it's a, um, when you use a zoom lens, the, the perspective change, basically the, the perspective collapses itself in camera. And so what they were doing was pushing the camera fo forward while zooming out at the same time. Nice. So the corners, the edges of the frame were staying fixed in the image, but everything beyond that was stretching. Sure. Yeah, it, it's... It was, so a, they, it was a shot he wanted to do ever since uh, filming Rebecca in 1949, but they could never figure out a way to do it. Okay. And with this movie, they did it by um, actually building a model of the stairway and then running the tracks down that and filming it oh. horizontally. Yeah. Nice. And so that, that shot, that push-pull shot, mm -hmm. if you watch movies these days, you will see it over and over yeah. and over again. The, and, and yeah. an audience member is complaining <laughs> well, that they never get the timing right. Except in Jaws. Perfect use in Jaws. <laughs> Perfect. Well, but uh, the, I mean, I'm, some other examples. Fellowship of the Ring, there's a moment where, yeah. uh, where the Nazgul are coming and, uh, and, and Frodo is standing in, in the lane, like looking down to where the Nazgul are going to come from. Mm -hmm. And there's a push-pull shot there. Ever since Hitchcock created this shot, it's just used all over the place. And now that you know that it exists, you will never ever watch a movie without going, oh, push pull. <laughs> yeah. There's well, the vertigo I, shot. I've, okay. Oh, and, and, but you know what? It costs $19,000 to do it in this oh, movie. God. So, yeah, Neil, I've, it's, I've seen that shot it. before, and I was watching the movie because I don't know when different cinematography, like, blah, 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 talking. Um, but when, when different types of, of, of camera things were used at different points and whatever. And so I was like, is that it? No. No. Is, is, is that? No, that seems fairly basic. And then when he was looking down the stairs, I'm like, I bet that's the one they're yeah, talking about. Yeah, that's the shot. That's exciting. That's the, that's, that's the spot. And it's, it is a really amazing shot. And when you see it used in other films, you, you notice it. Mm -hmm. it's, a very, it's a very film thing. It's a film thing. Yeah, it's, it's something yeah. that only happens with a lens. Yeah. It, 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 sure. It's the weird way, you know, depending on the focal length of the lens, the perspective changes within it. Yeah, so that's that's, you know, the the technical thing about this movie if we if mm -hmm. we if we talk about that. Well, um, there uh there are a bunch of other things like there um especially with lighting. He does a lot with lighting, especially mm -hmm. yeah. lighting that is very unnatural. So you you get the blinking lights or uh, the, the green lights the green in her lights. motel room. Yeah. That's really messed up when she I, steps out of the bathroom mm -hmm. and out of the 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 yeah. green light and into the, the the sort of key light 
where she's now perfect and she looks like Madeline. You're like, no, run away from this man now. <laughs> Get away. <laughs> Get away from him. Judy, it can't matter to you. <laughs> it really can, Judy. It should matter. <laughs> it should matter. So I'm, I'm, I'm going through the story in my head and I'm remembering uh, when, when they're in the, the, the forest thing. And she she does her little like crazy ghost thing and then walks behind the tree yeah. and doesn't come out. And we've got those those moments of, is she really a ghost? Did she disappear? What's going on? Oh like, yeah, <gasps> yeah. He nicely the, he nicely sets it up that it could be real. The way he built the story yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. That, that, oh. What a, what uh-oh. about the hotel well? Scene? Alex is about asking about the hotel scene. Hold on, come here. Are, are you got to ask the question, question into the microphone. Yeah. Well, come here, come here. All right, what's your question? Um, what about the hotel scene where the hotel owner says that she didn't walk in? Oh, okay. That too. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. That one, you know, we don't, the film doesn't explain that. It so, doesn't. you know, we've got the scene where Madeline is seen in the hotel, which used to be Carlotta's house. And the mm-hmm. owner says, well, I didn't see her walk in. Now, we do know that uh, the husband, the murderer, Mm-hmm. has a lot of money. So it's entirely possible that he paid the hotel owner off, but the film or, doesn't tell us. Or maybe she just has a copy of the key. Yeah. Maybe she maybe has a she copy of the key. Yeah, maybe she's really sneaky. Waited, and, waited until the hotel manager stepped away from the desk for a moment mm-hmm. and went up. So they don't, they, don't, they don't explain that. That is a good question. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, um, you actually see that a lot in Hitchcock films. He Hitchcock's very good at finding things where, okay... This will make it weird, but I don't really have to explain that. It, it, because if the story's good enough, nobody's going to notice that's sure. a plot hole. Yeah. And that's one of those things. Look yeah. at the Wookiee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. What else? You have a notepad filled with things oh, I've to got talk a about there, Melissa. Stuff. And uh, uh, there are uh, all the locations are actual locations in San Francisco. And I, a, lo- mm-hmm. a lot of them still exist. So you can actually wander around San Francisco and see Hotel Vertigo. I can, I can uh, act, actually <laughs> confirm that. My brother lives in San Francisco. Yeah. I've been to San Francisco a lot. And I have done, essentially, the Vertigo tour. Yeah, apparently the, the flower shop is still there. It's been open since 1871. Sweet. I didn't know that. No, yeah. but I've been to Fort Point. Yeah. And like looked out into the bay and I actually took a picture and tweeted it that said, uh, Kim Novak swam here. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and uh, the Coit Tower in the background, um, I've been there many times, mm-hmm. many times. Uh, so, yeah, for me, I, I mean, I love film set in San Francisco just because I know that city really well, probably. Mm-hmm. Better than any other city than my own. Yeah, the hotel that mm-hmm. Judy lives in is also still there. It's now called Hotel Vertigo. <laughs> and um, nice. the, the room that they filmed in was pretty much kept as is. So <gasps> it pretty much looks like that room Ooh. still. And you can stay there. I think you can. And if you do, <laughs> and you have your girlfriend color her hair blonde... <laughs> That's then you're a all dick. kinds of creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> really, Super duper creepy. It really is. So this movie um, was a critical flop and yeah. a fin- financial flop when it first came out. So think about that. Right yeah. now, most recent Sight and Sound poll is considered the best movie ever made. Mm-hmm. And when it was made, they hated it. It floundered like a fish. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. Which um, led Hitchcock to believe that Jimmy Stewart was too old for the role, and that's why audiences hated it, and he never worked with Jimmy Stewart again. Oh. I know. Yeah. No, he was perfect for that role. Well, he, he in, was, in he was great, like, although it was kind of creepy. Uh, he, he was 49, Kim Novak was 24. 
Well, but but the, it's still, I don't it was feel like that just really an took extra away layer of creepy, creepy to that. <laughs> like, I, I feel like that just adds to the creepiness. Really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, uh, th- but uh, it was also not originally a role intended for Kim Novak. Yeah. Um, the was way it? this movie came about was uh, initially. Alfred Hitchcock was sniffing around a novel which he didn't get to buy. Instead, another filmmaker named Henri-Georges Clouseau bought it and made the movie Les Diabolique. And which we'll have to do for a... Which uh, is a fantastic for a, for a movie real as well. Movie. But those authors went, hmm, Hitchcock wanted to buy that last book. Let's write a book for him. So they wrote the book that this movie was based on. And... Um, after Hitchcock picked it up, he figured he would make it into a star-making vehicle for an actress named Vera Miles. Now, Vera Miles was the woman who played opposite Henry Fonda in The Wrong Man, which is also a Hitchcock movie. And she was also played the sister in Psycho, if you've seen Psycho. And she was also in a couple of episodes of the Alfred Hitchcock, uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents TV show. And but, like but most of his is, leading ladies, Alfred Hitchcock yeah. probably wanted to sleep with her. Yeah, he wanted mm. to, she was the next one he wanted to elevate to stardom. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's and the then, way he treated women. I mean, yeah. there, there's so much psychological Alfred Hitchcock stuff oh. going on in this film. <laughs> and get this, anyway. get this, the reason she's not in this movie, she got pregnant. <gasps> that did not make Alfred Hitchcock not, happy. <laughs> so no. she got just <laughs> dropped and... Kim Novak was put in pretty much last huh. minute. Yeah, so I mean, the thing you got to remember, and again, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll go, go back to some of the psychological stuff with Hitchcock. Oh, oh, God. Is, oh I've got one more edge to this before you. He was married, right? Oh, he was married for the entire time. He'd, he'd, Alma, he'd been married to. Alma uh, Hitchcock, who, who was an amazing woman. She was actually yeah. his boss in the silent era. And, and uh, she, she did a lot of script work with him. She did a lot of script and, work. She was an huh. editor. She was an amazing filmmaker in her own right. She so was kind of a part of the power behind this throne. Yeah. So he's married to Alma Hitchcock, but he's basically attracted to every leading woman that he has. Yeah. But he can't do anything about it. So what happens is whenever one of them ends up sleeping with somebody else, mm-hmm. that's when he drops them like a hot potato. <laughs> because, you know, it's okay if he can't have them, so long as nobody else can have them either. <laughs> It, yeah. It, so now think about that, and then think about the movie that we just saw. Oh, yeah. God. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just it's Alfred Hitchcock's uh, life on film, and I'm not oh. even sure he knew that's what he was making. <laughs> I, wow. <laughs> so anyway, go on, Melissa. Sorry. Anyway, yeah, uh, Vera Miles. Uh, just the the additional twist on this: she got pregnant, she got dropped. Kim Novak was put in. By the time this got around to filming. Vera Miles wasn't pregnant anymore. She'd had the kid and was ready to start working. But she wasn't put back into but, the But, well, nah. you know. And, and she nah. never really worked with him again. Yeah. But, I mean, the same thing happened with uh, Ingrid Bergman, who was making movies with Hitchcock in the 40s, um, as soon as she got married to uh, Rosal- uh, Rossellini. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She got dropped from Hitchcock films. Yeah, he just... Mm. Grace Kelly retired when she became royalty, but yeah. So th- but still, the fact that she was with a guy at that point, probably he would have dropped her like a hot potato anyway. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it yeah. wasn't so much that they had to be with him, but they couldn't be with anybody else. <laughs> God. <laughs> That's... You know, you, can, you go, brilliant filmmaker, kind of a creepy dude. Yeah. 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 And... and 
Um, no, his wife is not blonde. Alex asked if his wife was blonde. No, <laughs> no, she was not. Uh, so what else do you have there on well, your little let's notepad? See what else. Oh, let's talk about the costumes. Oh, bit, we have another again, Edith Head. Edith Head once again. film. Uh, mm-hmm. Magnificent costumer. And it was, you know, as you can see, the, the gray suit was very key in the story. And mm-hmm. it was a very mm-hmm. deliberate choice to make it gray because both Hitchcock and Edith Head felt that gray was a very weird color for a blonde to wear. So it was part of that kind of ice queen character. Sure that Mm -hmm. they were uh, building. And Kim Novak talked about uh, how the the clothes she wore as Madeline were very confining and very rigid, and she actually kind of built that into the character. Mm -hmm. Whereas when she played Judy, she had a very different wardrobe, and she wouldn't wear a bra. (laughs) Can we we talk for a second how great the performance of Kim Novak is? I mean, it really is two different women. Really is. You know, to the point that when you discover the Novak character, the the, the Judy character character. is is the same woman. Because when you first see her, you're like, oh, she's just a different woman that looks the same. And then she's like the same woman, you're like, hot dang. Mm-hmm. That she wow. really convinced yeah. me she was a different person. Agreed entirely. And she should have been in acting. She, sh- <laughs> <laughs> she would have made a lot more money. Yeah, so really. um, I, I'm going to bring the microphone out in the office yeah. as we go on to your next top. Uh, sorry, audience, as we go on to your next topic, and we'll yeah, do I've a got, little I've bit. Got of a, I've got a quick little thing. So once you go out there, okay. Uh, the, the story about the bra, the cantilevered bra, in the very uh, yeah. early part uh, is a reference to Howard Hughes because Howard Hughes had. Uh, the the airplane maker and filmmaker uh, for a short while was trying to design a new type of bra for Jane Russell. Huh. That's where that came from. <laughs> also, he's so very supportive and uplifting. So, you know. <laughs> so, I'm just going to see if any of our audience has any comments uh, before we we're going to cut out pretty soon because they're actually getting ready to show the movie again. Which is good because it's awesome. So, yeah. Comments, <laughs> sir? This is kind of about the Hayes Code. Um, because I remember in Rear Window... Yeah, they had a, the kiss scenes only last about three seconds, and I think that was part of the Hayes Code. You couldn't have a kiss scene that lasted three seconds because that would just be bad. Mm-hmm. So sure. I was watching this really long and kisses, they but were they kept lips, breaking apart. And I'm counting off my head: one, two, three, four, <laughs> five. Um, damn. So when did the Hayes Code kind of go away as far as lock and lips? For well, it, it kind of mostly went away by the end of the 60s, but it just kind of got a little bit more relaxed and a little bit more relaxed as, as mm-hmm. time went on. And If you want to talk about a yeah. long Hitchcock kiss, what we need to do is we need to watch Notorious. Yeah. Uh, because, but, because what Hitchcock, and he does it here too, what he did is he figured out the literal code is if their lips are touching. Mm-hmm. So he would just not let their lips touch that long. So they keep breaking apart and doing dialogue and then smooching more and it sure. go in, out, in, out. You know. <laughs> That's how I make out with people all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah really, so yeah. comment back here. Yeah. Well, just a, two things that really stand out for me about this film. That the first one would be Bernard Herrmann's score. Which Herman is was, amazing. Herman mm-hmm. was very well established in the industry by this time, but th- th- this score especially, I think, plays to what he was really good at. It's, it's very romantic. It's very mm-hmm. lush. The, the strings sweep and oh. the horns punctuate. It's very, very classically romantic and very matches Wagner. the... Yeah, and it matches the, the emotional tone of what's happening. 
as, as the film gets further and further to the end, it kind of gets stranger and stranger until it builds up to this big climax. Yeah. The other thing that, that struck me is for a story that is as dark as it is and as e emotionally negative as it is, most of the film is extremely bright in terms of its imagery. Now, of course, they're in California, and a lot of the story takes place during the day, so you mm -hmm. would expect that. Um, but for, for a film that just goes that far off the rails to look that bright and crisp and sharp, and I, I, I kind of wish the film print had showed that a little bit better. Um, but then you get this, this just occasional, you can't call it psychedelic, it's not there yet, but the, the scene in the hotel Mm -hmm. where they kiss, and the camera does a 360 around the couple, and suddenly they're not in the hotel anymore. They're in the carriage house, and then mm -hmm. they're back in the hotel again. Or the, when Jimmy Stewart has the psychotic break, and the, the animation sequence kicks in there, which sure. wouldn't really be an accepted thing until you get into the 60s, and people really start playing around with breaking up the narrative like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, well, I was going to, when you mentioned the score, I was going to comment that, that the way he takes that score and he just makes it really, really creepy in that 360 shot. Oh, yeah. And it's, it just, oh. He, just, he just goes into a couple of minors there and all of a sudden the score you've been hearing throughout the entire film just gets twisted in a way that, mm -hmm. that's brilliant. Um, I, think that, I think that scene is also uh, the most where you can kind of hear where Herman's influences are coming from um, mm -hmm. just because it... Uh, I think he specifically stated it's, uh, he based a lot of it on Tristan and Isolde, uh, Wagner. Uh -huh. And in that hotel kiss scene, you can hear that lead up to, to the, uh, the big love theme. And it's like, yep, that's Wagner right there. Yeah. It, it really is. So uh, I think we need to, since they are actually letting folks yeah, in for the next are. showing, yeah. we need okay. to kind of wrap up. So are there okay. any uh, final thoughts on Vertigo? Jenna. Um, the, their first kiss in the movie when they're by the, the ocean and there's, there was, there was this, this lovely timing. And I don't know, like, you know, how long it took them to figure this one out or, or whatever. But there was, as, as their lips met, there was a wave splash and the score goes up, and then there's like just a little bit of a drop, and then they go back into it, and there's more waves yeah. and more sound, like all at the same time. And I just, I, I, it's rear projection like, is a magical thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's so well put together, though. I'm like, oh my god. That is, I mean, that is a rear projection shot, right? Sure. So they're they're in the studio. They've they've gone out and they've shot. Yeah. The waves coming up. This is, uh, I think, uh, I believe it's on 17 Mile Drive, Carmel by the Sea. Okay. Uh, but uh, so they shoot the waves coming up, and then what they do is that they go into the studio and they can now shoot that yeah. kiss with the and, rear projected shot exactly at the perfect the timing. But, but it's great, isn't still, it? Still, like, yeah, yeah just just the the way that they connected it all at the same time. The the, the even with that, it's the timing has to be a thing that they worked on. For oh, a bit. probably a lot. Yeah, yeah. Lots they, of making they, out with Hitchcock Street. was a little bit of a perfectionist and loved to do <laughs> stuff like that. So, it, I I think there there was a shot that took one week to do, and not the zoom and pull, but it was um, oh, it was the uh, shot of um, Madeline viewing the portrait in the gallery. It took a week to get the lighting right. 
And all she's doing is sitting there and all she's looking doing at the portrait. Looking at the portrait. God. All right, so uh, final thought, Melissa? I just loved seeing this on the big screen. Oh, that was so yeah. awesome. <laughs> this, was, this was a movie that was shot in VistaVision, which is a very strange format where if you usually see a 35 millimeter print of a movie, like if you look at our logo, if you look at the image so that the image you see is right side up, you get the sprockets down the side. Um, in VistaVision, they're at the top and bottom. So the film goes through the projector horizontally rather than vertically. And they did that so they could actually use more of the, the film. They, they got a larger image on the same size film. And mm -hmm. uh, not very many movies were made in that format, but it was a predecessor to IMAX and Omnimax. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, things like this, um, quickly, anything like VistaVision or 70 millimeter, at this point in filmmaking, what they are trying to do is differentiate filmmaking from television. Yeah. Uh, widescreen is entirely a function of, of TV happening. Old films are actually in the same aspect ratio as, as a television screen. Sure. But mm -hmm. when television started to become popular, filmmakers and the film industry wanted people to have a reason to go watch a movie yep. versus watching it on your television. And so VistaVision is another way that they're like, look, you can't see anything like this on your TV. So please, come out to the movie theater, give us your money, and buy some popcorn. And now look what shape our TVs are today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, um, so uh, I, I think that's, that's pretty much all we have time for. Sure. We want to thank Pepito's Parkway Theater for yes. doing our live uh, Real Education podcast. Our next one, January 18th, is going to be Double Indemnity by Billy Wilder. We're very much looking forward to that, so please come out for that one. Our next episode of A Real Education is going to be about Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times. <laughs> and you can find us over at www.realedu.com where you can listen to past episodes and uh, learn about upcoming live podcasts at Pepito's. So thanks so much for listening, everyone, and we'll catch you later. We hope you enjoyed our film fixation. We'll see you next time on A Real Education. Beep.